I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. So I graduated high school and literally begged easy for a job. And uh, I went to my uncle and my uncle was like, look, I can't hire you. It just won't look good. If you can convince easy, then you've got a job. So I would bug the fuck out of easy over and over until he gave me a job. The first job I had with them, they were paying me 150 bucks a week. I was working seven days a week and just doing bullshit work, but I was just happy to be a part of it. Hey, this is Josh Levine. I'm your host on Rebel Radio. That was our producer, Cassandra, with her favorite quote of this week's guest, Terry Heller. Rebel Radio is now part of the Dash Radio Network. You can find us Thursday nights at 6 p.m. Pacific on the Hot Button channel. And you can find us any time of the day on iTunes or SoundCloud.com slash Rebel underscore radio. If you have a request, call us. one 800 399-266. So this week's guest is is my good friend Terry Heller. Terry and I, we've seen some shit together. Uh, we go back 20 plus years to, I think it was the whiskey in Hollywood. You're going to hear all about that in our interview. He's uh, an ex-music industry survivor. Now restaurateur, owner of Plan Check Restaurants in LA. Plancheck.com. Or plan check on Twitter or Instagram or Friendster, wherever else you can think of. Before that, let's get into the EDM.com track of the week. Yeah. Life won't let you be no Indian giver And I say that just to tell you that You never get the present back Hope you use your intellect Hope you don't spend it selling crack Hope you ain't up on the internet Typing what you would never speak out Hoping to get respect It don't work like that If it do, you should get a check Some rappers work like that And them niggas be getting checks I'm interjecting I hope they feel disrespect That I saw they vid And I'd rather my cable be disconnected I'm a hard drive to the game I save it Whole life been hard like pavement Trying to be 24 years old With a little stock in a nice house no payment. Tryna be the one song that'll touch your soul if it ain't nothing on your playlist. Tryna win a 
in this game, I hate the player, homie, you skip Bayless. This game, they said it was hard to blow, but homie, your sure is. Don't get comfortable with no record deal. I be comfortable as the florist, man. Not too many, no Morris, man. Not too many, no Morris. Those that do know him, be him and say he need a grave in the florist chorus. Yo, that was King Mez. The song's called Morris for the EDM.com track of the week. If you don't know about King Mez, he's on the new Dr. Dre album, Compton, uh, tearing it up. And he's this dude is definitely on his way up, so look for him. And you can find that track on SoundCloud.com slash hip hop, hip hyphen hop. And you can find Rebel Radio, as you know, on Dash Radio, iTunes, SoundCloud, your local bodega. Rebel Radio mixtapes are coming out soon. Look for them on on your corner, as well as visors. We got to make some, James, let's make some Rebel Radio visors. That'll be great. All right, let's get into the interview. What's up, Rebels? Welcome back to Rebel Radio. My guest today is uh, my good friend, Terry Heller. Terry and I go back since uh, we were kids, probably probably 20 years plus. 20, more than that. 91, than, I met you. Yeah, that's right. It's at coming the, up on 25 years. At an ASCAP party at the Roxy, right? That's right. Yeah, so we'll talk about that. Terry was, uh, at the time, an A&R man for Ruthless Records and uh, has had a diverse career in music, music video, real estate, and now uh, Terry is a restaurateur owner of Plan Check here in Los Angeles, which has been voted the best chicken sandwich. Is that correct? I think we got a, yeah, we got best chicken sandwich in America, according to Restaurant Hospitality. I mean, these wow. things change. Yeah. We've been voted best burger at times in LA, so yeah. Well, if you haven't been, the Southern Fry is amazing. Which and is the uh, chicken sandwich. Yeah. Correct. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks I'm excited to be here. It's very exciting. I'm. Uh, I love doing this. You know, we're six episodes in or something, and I love doing this partly because, you know, I get to talk to people that that I've known for a long time, and I'm still learning things about. Uh, even though, you know, even though we're close friends, I, I have a feeling I'm going to learn some things that I didn't know about you, already. Uh, and one of the things you know that that. I think in some ways you're perfect for this show because... Well, tell, tell me first the format of the show. What, what are we trying to accomplish with the show? Well, this is it. The format's us talking shit. But is it about and, business? Uh, is it about... I mean, the people that are listening at home, I kind of like to have an idea of, yeah. of, of what the agenda is because I, I will try to... For me, what this show is about is how you build a career around being creative. So it's a little bit of business. It's a little bit of, of just how to, how to stay creative, how to find inspiration and, and kind of have a life that's, um, you know, your career is an example. You never went and had a, a straight nine to five. Correct. You know, you didn't follow that traditional path of I'll go to college, I'll go get, you know, a corporate job. Correct. Work 30 years and get a pension, that kind of thing. Right. So, um, 
you know, you, you have a, you've had a really interesting career and interesting life and, and, uh, hopefully it's not over. <laughs> I feel like I'm just getting started. Well, I'm, t- I'm going to talk about it as if it's over Okay. <laughs> um, in the past tense. No, but right. And, and you've reinvented yourself professionally many times along the way. And I think that that's really relevant to the way that business is going in the future. Right. And our parents' generation was much more about one career. hundred percent. You pick it, you do it forever. You may or may not like it, but you're kind of stuck with it. Right. And, and I think this, this new world that we live in is very different. And, and you've been a great example of that. Yeah. You know, I appreciate it. It's not just about the entrepreneurs. I mean, even in this new world, many corporate guys that I know that, you know, I live in the suburbs, Sure. So I, I'm exposed to a lot of these sort of corporate guys that took that traditional route. Yep. None of these guys have job security. I see them moving around every few years, albeit they're making a lot of money. They ha- they have a nice life, but they're not lifers either. I mean, they're right. constantly reinventing themselves. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, I always said, and I tell my, my kids, I have three kids, I always tell them, look, if you could create a job for yourself that's your job security. Mm -hmm. Never rely on somebody else to make a living because, you know, you'll find yourself in trouble at some point. Yeah. I mean, I think that, that the traditional route is really false security. Correct. It looks, you know, you go to a big building with a big logo on it every day and it, you know, it feels like everything's secure, but how many times have we seen all that stuff crumble? Listen, look at the music industry. There are so many people, myself, you, a lot of us that were employed by the music industry. I was a director. Mm-hmm. We did music videos for every major label. That industry today is gone. It doesn't exist. There are still music videos, but you can't make a living doing it. Right. So you definitely have to um, understand that regardless of your education, regardless of your skill set, you're going to have to roll with the punches or, or you'll be left behind. Yeah. All right. So we're going to talk about all that. I want to go way back to the beginning though. Like I said, we met 1991 at the whiskey. Was it the whiskey? Yeah. I thought it was the Roxy for some reason. Okay. It was either the whiskey or the Roxy. Pretty sure it was the Roxy. Have a good for moment. an ASCAP showcase. And, uh, and you were doing A&R at Ruthless. Correct. So, and, and so we should note that your uncle, Jerry Heller, was at the time managing NWA. Right. One of the biggest groups in the world. Um, and in my mind, one of the most important music acts really of all time in terms of what they stood for. I mean, look, they, they, they were huge then and, you know, their movie's about to come out now. And it's pretty amazing that uh, they're still relevant. Not more. I mean, they're just as relevant today to me as they were then. Yeah. So... It's it, it at the end of the day, phenomenal music and pheno- phenomenal movements around music mm-hmm. stand the test of time. So mm-hmm. it's that's a testament that you know it's it's incredible. You look at you look at rock groups that still tour today, and uh, these guys are in their sixties and seventies and they're still doing it. So you know I I feel like Dre will be around like Quincy Jones until until the end. Yeah, you know he's he's undeniably one of the most talented people to ever hit the music industry if not the most talented guy in in my mind so take us back to the beginning there and and how did you uh first of all you know how'd you i mean obviously you knew about ruthless through your uncle but but how did you decide to take a job there and and how did that come about huh 
Um, well, look, at I, I met Easy. I forget the year. I mean, it must have been 86, 87. So I'm in, I'm in middle school. And, you know, first off, I started off as a fan. I was one of the first kids in my neighborhood. You know, once again, I grew up in the suburbs, Westlake Village area, to have turntables. Mm -hmm. I had the Radio Shack version. I forgot what they were called. Yeah, yeah the Realistics. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they, they didn't have the direct drive, so you had to sort of push it to kick it off. Yep. In fact, I just, I'm moving to my new office and in my storage, I just found my, my 1200s. So I'm excited because I'm going to get those set up. Nice. Uh, by no means was I a good DJ, but I had turntables and my uncle used to give me vinyl to like demos used to come on vinyl. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I remember test getting, pressings. yeah, like test pressings, whatever. I remember having like Joe Ski Love, Houdini, UTFO, LA Dream Team, Egyptian Lover. So for me, it, it started with a passion for that. I, I did not know too many kids that were into hip-hop the way I was. So, do, you, do you remember the first record you bought? No. I, I didn't buy a lot of records. I would get a lot. Of, I just remember I'd have demos. And of course, my mother, I don't know, must have been 1920, uh, decided to throw away all my vinyl, yeah, which nice. was awesome. Because a lot of those records, I bet you if I had them today, <laughs> there'd be like, you know, who knows? I could have had a biggie, you know, demo in there or something. But right. um, I don't remember the first record I bought, but I definitely was a fan of hip hop while all my buddies were into Judas Priest, Iron Maiden. So how did you discover hip hop then in that environment? A, a big part of it was my uncle. Yeah. You know, he was working with Rodney O and Joe Cooley. In fact, I remember being in Laguna Beach and Rodney O and Joe Cooley pulling up in like, I don't know what, what year it was, whenever Everlasting Bass came out. as fast as Carl. Jewish. He's black, not Jewish. And when he's on stage, he can <laughs> and I'm good to <laughs> Yes, Rodney O, leader of the show. Make the lady say uh, King of my castle. Causing much pain. Your dumb shrimp wimps, it's you I tame. So to the all, to the old, to the D N E Y. Now what's that spell, Rodney? That's right. Yeah, it was like 84, Five, 85. Four, yeah, somewhere yeah. in there. So you know, once again, I'm I'm a kid, just bar mitzvah. And I remember these guys pulling up, and they had like like the Jerry Curl, and they had the jewelry, and they were just cool as fuck to me. Mm -hmm. Can I say fuck on this? Yeah. And um, they played Everlasting Bass, and I remember sitting in my uncle's Benz, and that thing going in, there, you know, playing, and so I was exposed to it that way. I loved the culture. Um, it just something hip hop music for me, rap music. I just identified with. I was into surfing. I was into skating. So whether it was Public Enemy, you know, that to me was, was 
my version of on some level rebelling. Mm-hmm. So I just remember hearing public enemy and going, Jesus, I want to go punch someone in the mouth. This shit's fucking incredible. So I, I was just a fan. And then obviously, you know, Jerry had Egyptian Lover. He had LA Dream Team. I'd go to the shows. I remember going to the LA Fresh Festivals. Once mm-hmm. again, I forget, mid-80s. And, you know, I was one of the only white kids there. And I was a kid. I mean, I'm no older than 13, 14, 15 years old. And just, I was a fan. And, you know, I graduated high school. Started going to college and literally begged Easy for a job. I went to my uncle and my uncle's like, look, I can't hire you. We're family. Um, it just won't look good. If you can convince Easy, then you got a job. So Easy already knew me, obviously, from Jerry working with him. And I would bug the fuck out of Easy over and over until he gave me a job. And the first job I had with them, uh, they were paying me 150 bucks a week. And I was working like, I don't know how many hours. I was working seven days a week um, and just doing bullshit work. Um, but I was just happy to, 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 to be part of it. So what was the first day like at Ruthless? You know, it's funny you should ask that. The first day, and, and I'm not making this up, I'm going to tell you the story, and it was pretty crazy. So I get hired, and I'm excited. It's like a Monday. I'm going to work. I'm going to college part-time. No, actually, I think I was going full-time. Um, and I get a call from Gary, who's Jerry's cousin. So I guess he's my second cousin, or my cousin once removed. He goes, listen, we got an issue. Dre... He worked at Ruthless. He worked at Ruthless, excuse me. And and Easy, Dre, and the DOC all lived in Westlake, which was crazy. Can you imagine these guys living out there? Mm-hmm. Um and I get a call, and I, I want to say this is, you know, I don't, I, I'm bad with the exact time, but 90, mid 90, maybe 91. And I get a call that there's an issue with the movers at Dre's house. They were on tour or whatever, and they're moving one house to another. Dre wasn't there, and I need to go over there right away. And I need to go over there, go see what the issue is with the movers, and take Dre's Corvette from like one house to another. And they're only like four or five blocks away. So I go over there and the movers have me come into Dre's closet and you see like the moving mats laid on the floor and there was literally 30 guns laid out. <laughs> and the guys are like, oh, we're not touching these. Right. So you got to figure it out. So I call, you know, I don't even think I had a cell phone. I don't know. You know, I, I called my uncle and I was like, there's like 30 guns here. I've never shot a gun. I've never held a gun. I've no interest in guns. And there were like big ass guns there. And I'm like, look, what, what do you want me to do? He goes, take him to the new house. I'm like, I don't want to take him. He goes, take him to the new house. So basically, <laughs> we take all the guns. They're in these moving mats. Mm-hmm. We fold the moving mats over them. And the movers carry them. I'm thinking they're going to like go off or something. And in the Corvette, there's like a little space in the back. And we like stuff them in there. So can you imagine I'm in Dre's vet with no plates. It was like a new vet. And I remember it was a stick shift. Uh, all these guns. And, and that was literally my, my first day on the job. Wow. Um, Trey wasn't like, you know, a big... I mean, look, I don't want to give the wrong image about Dre, but, you know, these guys liked their guns. The Doc liked his guns. Easy liked his guns. And, you know, mm-hmm. I'm sure one or two probably end up missing with the movers. Yeah, I'm sure. But, uh, yeah, that was my first day on the job. That was exciting. Pretty exciting. Crazy times, I'm sure. Yeah. 
what was easy like to work with? We, we, we've read a lot about him, you know, as a personality. But what, know, what was he like on the day to day? Easy was, uh, first of all, you know, what's great is uh, we were friends. I knew the guy. Uh, he looked to me as, as a kid. But uh, both Easy and Dre were, were amazing guys. I, I think the perception of them to the general public is a lot different than what it really was. Um, you know, I'll start with Easy. I mean, he is by far one of the most intelligent. I mean, his business acumen, his intelligence is off the charts. We would walk into meetings with high, high level music guys, and the way he would conduct a meeting, the way he would present himself, the way he would present an idea, a group, was just brilliant. And, you know, what, what I really learned from Easy at the end of the day was you could do anything. Mm-hmm. This was a guy, remember now, you know, you have to take, it's now looking back, it's like, okay, well, Dre has headphones and, you know, Puffy has vodka and none of that shit existed back right. then. You know, these guys had a platform because they were rappers. But Easy was always thinking about what was next. In fact, I'll send you guys a copy and maybe you could flash, I have it on my sure. Instagram. Easy and I were working right before he died on starting a, a film company together. But Eric always was thinking outside the box. He wanted to start a film company. He was thinking about clothes. He, and, and he never had this sort of idea that he couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. He always had this self-belief that I could do it and I could do it better than most people. And like I said, at the time, this was unheard of. Not only that, the deals that Jerry and Easy were striking with Distributors and record companies were groundbreaking. They were doing deals that haven't been done before. Not by Russell, not by Puffy, not by any of these guys. So, you know, Eric was definitely uh, on some next shit. I mean, he was always thinking about the big picture. I always heard that it was uh, maybe not that easy for NWA to get signed. Is that like there was rumors about like Geffen like walked away from it or... Um, is that wrong? I, I don't remember. Remember now, this is, you know. I mean, that's mid-80s. Look, it, I will tell you that I remember when NWA came out with, what was it, 8-Ball and Posse or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Jerry set up a showcase, if you will, at one of their recording studios in Torrance. And Chris Blackwell came and a couple other, I, be, I believe it was Chris Blackwell from Island Records and a couple other executives. And I remember Easy coming out and it was completely bizarre for him because he had this scarf on with piano keys. <laughs> and I never saw him. I guess that was his version of being like a little bit, you know, fly. I don't know. I just remember seeing it going, I'm used to seeing him in like, you know, Raiders. And he was kind of like a little bougie that day. And they did like three or four songs and I remember they did pass pass them up. I don't remember Geffen ever being involved, but I do remember Jerry calling his friends in the business, guys like uh, Joe Smith or, you know, um, I'm trying to think of some of the big names, but Bob Krasnow or some of these big record guys. Mm-hmm. And he would tell them what he's doing. And they said, you know, because Jerry had a reputation for partying and being out of his mind back from the rock and roll days. And they really said, you know, I remember very clearly someone saying to him, you've lost your fucking mind. What? 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 Yeah. NWA, what? 
I don't drink grass monkey. Like the beat funky. Nickname Easy E, yo, eight ball junkie. Bass drum kicking and a snack got knack. And if it ain't rap, then you know it's crap. Crowd rocking, sucker something from around the way. Got a sick shooter, yo, mean I'm brave. in my lap and it's cold as hell so um i do remember that there was a lot of resistance but there was one guy at atlantic records jerry greenberg who did their first major deal and they did michelet and jj mm-hmm. fat mm-hmm. but michelet and jj fat were not nwa right and um but that helped launch ruthless well that's the thing it's so hard to imagine you know today hip-hop is everywhere it is you know it is a it's pop music it's, it's pop music yeah. but it but it's it's just american culture right right there's no part of american culture that hip-hop hasn't touched in some way and this is not that long ago 25 years ago 30 years ago right it was it was taboo it was like you know listen you have songs called fuck the police yeah i mean i remember we would come into the office and Jerry'd hit play on the answer machine, and there'd be guys like, you know, this is Jim Bob from, you know, so-and-so, and we're going to kill you. He'd use the N-word. I mean, we would get threats all the time. Mm-hmm. There was a letter from the FBI. Uh, I mean, there was always some issue and some concern for our security. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely crazy back then, and and there was no precedence for it. And look at Easy was unapologetic. He didn't give a shit. Mm-hmm. He was going to do what he was going to do, and um, he wasn't going to let anyone tell him no. What stood out to me, you know, I met Easy a couple times, probably through you, um, and then you know I interviewed him once. I think I might have mentioned that. And what rap earlier. pages or something? Uh, no, what? Who'd you write? Er, Herb could have been for Herb. Might have could have been rap pages. Was this was this under Felix the Cat moniker? Or? <laughs> no, it was not. Okay, uh, I don't remember where who I wrote it for, but. But it was in his office, and you know, two one eight nine zero Burbank Boulevard, right. Woodland Hills, in like the most inconspicuous corporate park. Right. Right. Like you would was, never think. Actually, my mom worked for an insurance company oh, that yeah, was in the same that. complex. I remember that. She was like on the third Reckon. floor. We were on the front. Yep. I remember that. Yeah. And funny. anyway, and I we had met previously i think through you but now i was here like for an interview and i you know i come into his office and he sits me down he's at his desk you know big wooden desk and he reaches in the drawer and pulls out a pistol and sets it on the table and he goes what do you want to talk about really yeah yeah he but he was giggling yeah it was just fun easy let me tell you easy was a that was on the 5150 yeah he was a practical joker you'd walk into his house and he had these little like um, Chucky dolls, mm-hmm. and he was into like he had this crazy sound system. I remember watching Hellraiser there once with him. I mean, he was into just fucking with people and being uh, like just crazy. But what I remember uh, more than anything, you know, he and Ice T. Like here, I'm this 19, 20 year old kid, nobody, and both of those guys stood out to me for being the nicest, most uh, welcoming, kind of engaging people. No, no ego, like in in that way, right? Just totally open arms, 
Yeah. And they I didn't have to be. I never, I met Ice-T through the years. Obviously, you know, I was a big fan. But yeah, Easy was a cool guy. And, and um, I, I'll never forget his impact on, you know, once he came out and now he started crossing crossing over into the white kids. Mm-hmm. We would go to like, I don't know, you know, Beverly Hills. I remember specifically one time going to Beverly Hills. And the reactions from people were crazy. Like, he was such a fucking celebrity, this guy. Yeah. That he would get mobbed. Uh, we'd go to like the Topanga Mall, which is st- still exists there. I was just there over the weekend with my daughters. And he would get mobbed. Like, he, there was something about Easy and his celebrity. Like, there was something about his personality. He was a little bit of a, a an, an enigma, um, but he would just get mobbed. We would go there alone, and there would be fifty people following us. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is before like you know paparazzi. This is before I guess like the big boy band craze. But this dude was like people loved him. Mm-hmm. He was an a- interesting guy. I mean, I just remember like white housewives like jocking him. It was just weird. Sure. You know, and remember, like, he lived in the suburbs. There were no rappers. I mean, right. it, it was just, and, and people just loved him, man. He, he, he was a character. So, uh, so working at Ruthless, you, I don't know if discovered is the right word, but you found uh, Will 1X. Will 1X, who correct. Who became Will I Am. He was in a group called At Ban Clan, a tribe beyond a nation. that where you you brought that to easy i well yeah i saw them will would freestyle all the time around town but ballistics but specifically like the, the ballistics which is like the hot you know little pseudo celebrity like david faustino from married with children it was his club yeah it's his club him nick adler um dan eisenberg and bobby jacoby mm-hmm. i think those are the four oh, robert gavin was involved too and um yeah they they i would see him and the guy was a talent and I said, hey, man, let me manage you and I can get you a deal ruthless. You know, I, I discovered pretty quickly that making 150 bucks a week wasn't cool <laughs> and that wasn't going to get me anywhere. So I started, you know, sure. I was doing a lot of bullshit work for easy, like whatever, transporting guns illegally, whatever I was doing. But, you know, I wanted to advance and I was never, uh, you know, patience is definitely uh, not in my vocabulary. So I started trying to figure out ways to just be relevant and be heard so yeah i brought app and clan which had um appity app and taboo wasn't in the band at the time it was um a, a kid named mookie mm. who's literally like his like same like they they had a very same look and these guys were not only phenomenal like freestylists but they were amazing dancers mm-hmm. and these guys had crazy style like I used to take Will to the thrift stores and he'd buy like knickers, like just weird old man clothing and would just look dope as fuck. And people would, some people would like look at him like he was an ass and, and some people would would think he was he was cool. But, you know, I even though 
they got signed to Ruthless, it was a struggle for me. At this time now, you know, while they're getting signed, Easy started catching some major headwinds. You know, obviously Cube left in the 80s, Dre left, and I think Easy lost a lot of sort of his confidence for a moment. And he, um, people would get in his ear and I just remember him always talking to them about being back backpack rappers mm-hmm. and a lot of his a lot of his friends thought they were corny right so they were never released which was the best thing that ever happened for them yeah you know? yeah I mean it's hard to imagine you know Will at, with who he is today right coming from and I you know I met him back then through you we went to his house to his mom's house somewhere down by Dodger Stadium yeah and picked him up, and, and, you know, that's that was my first time meeting him. You know, it's funny. Will, when I used to go pick him up, whatever we'd hang out, whatever we, we'd have to go to a meeting or go to the studio, he would tell me, like, to honk the horn, like, I don't know, honk the horn twice. And he'd literally be running out of his house mm-hmm. because dudes would want to kick his ass because he was just, you know, he stood out. Yeah. And he lived in, like, some Section 8 housing or whatever, and I just remember he would run out of his house and jump in my car and we would jet. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, at the end of the day, I've got so much respect for that dude because I just remember how hard he worked, how many times people said no to him. I remember when Farside came out. I remember myself, this is me speaking for me, I was a little deflated because I felt on some level they they beat me to the punch or beat us to the punch. Mm. And, you know, the guy never gave up. And I remember one day he he told me he needed money or he wanted to get a drum machine. And I said, why? He goes, well, I want to produce. I was like, you want to produce? And... He, he started producing. I mean, this guy had never quit, man. He approached me once and said, I got these guys that want to shoot a video for me. And that's actually what got me into, video, into directing. Mm-hmm. Um, and he found these guys to shoot a video for Puddles of H2O. I don't know if that thing exists on the internet or not. I'm sure it's somewhere. somewhere. But the guy just never quit. He always worked hard. And I remember in a matter of months, this guy was making beats. And he just had this self-belief. He never gave up. And, uh, you know, I, I could not, I never profited from them, but I can't tell you how, you know, when they became successful, how vindicated I felt. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the only group I ever signed to Ruthless. So despite the fact that they had a name change and they had different people in and out of the band, you know, singers and Fergie and whatnot, at the end of the day, really the the heart and soul of Black Eyed Peas to me was Will I Am. He was he was the force behind them. Not taking any credit away from Fergie or Apple or Taboo, but he was a driving force. He was he was the guy that had the vision, and uh, you know I could be more proud of that guy. Look at him today. I mean, the guy is still fucking relevant. Like Dre's relevant. So mm-hmm. yeah. So uh, all right. That's happening. You started shooting music videos. At so what happened time, was, right? like I said, Will brought these 
this young SC grad, I forget if the other guy was an SC grad, and said, look, I need $1,000 to shoot this video. So somehow, I, I think I convinced Jerry or Easy to give us 1000 They shot the video. Uh, it was cool. I mean, at the time, videos are tens of thousands. Tens of thousands. Easy. And somehow these guys... Now put they're it, cheap again. Somehow, the, <laughs> somehow these guys put it together, and I saw the video, and it really blew me away. The creativity, the fact that we had no money. And in the process, if we're talking about me now, in the process, I met the two guys that put it together one guy was like a cinematographer the other guy was a director they both co-produced it and i was like wow man this is amazing this is now shit i want to say like 93 so i'm still you know i'm fairly young there and at this point i'm getting really restless at ruthless i wanted to get the fuck out of there all the stuff with suge and we could touch upon that in a little bit but just i was ready to to branch out i wasn't really getting any respect being jerry's nephew it was a it was a bit dysfunctional there in my mind mm -hmm. and i was looking for some opportunity to get out and i never had any real driving desire to be a director but i saw this video i met these young guys that were my age that put it together and i called them one day and i said look you did a fantastic job i want to meet you i have some ideas so one of the guys could not make it and the cinematographer guy made it he went to like i said sc he was i thought a very talented guy his name was chuck and we met at jerry's deli in studio city and i said listen man i could get you know i just started freestyling like let's start a production company i can get you all this work let's do this you know and he's like great where do i sign up at, at that meeting, he basically was like, look, <laughs> I was the brains behind the video. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, the other guy, which ultimately got upset with me, but kind of just was cut out of the equation. Mm -hmm. And I formed this production company, if you will. And at and our first gig, I convinced Easy to let me direct, even if there was any directing to do, a little spot for Bone Thugs and Harmony. And that was the first thing that I did yeah. as sort of a, a director, producer. And um, we went to Easy's house in Norwalk. Like our props were like an old oil can. We lit that fucking thing on fire. And these guys, I don't know if we could cut to the clip or not, but yeah. these guys we'll are around. You got, you know, all the bones around the trash can and they're, you know, I can't sing, but they were doing that little... Uh, East 99 is where you'll find me slinging my yay yo daily and they were doing all that shit mm -hmm. we did it cut it together and easy loved it and I did it for like five grand and they're working on their EP um you know there might be some other people that didn't agree with what I'm about to say but my memory of Bone Thugs back then was this was a very confusing time for easy Dre's now gone. He's working with new producers. And I've heard people say other things. My memory was Easy wasn't 100% sure about these guys. Mm -hmm. Once again, he had a couple of these guys in his ears, like, like you know, the Appad clan, who ended up becoming Black Eyed Peas. And I remember there was a little concern about kind of their machine gun style of rapping. So I remember Eric was a little apprehensive and there wasn't a huge push, financially speaking, um, 
in in general and he was working with a bunch of other rappers at the time and artists that you guys have never heard of but you know ruthless was in a, a transitioning stage of dre leaving and all that stuff with suge and i just remember there wasn't a lot of momentum and belief in them but i will tell you that worked my favor because when it was time to shoot the first single i went to easy and i said um you know, what's the budget for that? And they had the host of directors they worked with. And he said, you know, my numbers are going to be off, but he's like 100 Gs. I said, well, I could do it for 50 grand. Mm -hmm. Not knowing if I could or not, but <laughs> I just put myself out there. And he's like, done. Because I did that little commercial for them. So we ended up going to Cleveland and we shot the video. It was Douglas Ruggish Bone. That was my first video I ever directed. And it was a huge hit. So was it, um, did you, did you make this conscious decision to say, I don't want to be an A&R guy. I want to, I want to make videos instead of records. You or? know what? I always had a passion for A&R and I, honestly, I, I regretted it for a lot of years because I felt like I was good at it. I felt like I understood what people wanted to hear and I thought I could have really made an impact. Um, it was really a function of circumstances, um, I left my house, even though Jerry is my uncle, I left my house, you know, I turned 18 after I graduated high school. And I remember leaving the house at 17, getting an apartment and just wanting to be independent. And at that time, I, you know, like a lot of sons do with their fathers, I was kind of butt heads with my dad. And um, it was just a matter of circumstances. I saw this opportunity mm -hmm. and I saw not just the opportunity to make money, but the opportunity to be on my own. So it, none of it was really premeditated. It just unfolded that way. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I've always, I think, been pretty good at identifying an opportunity and not only identifying it, but figuring out how to make it work to my favor. So, you know, once I did that video, even when I did the video, I just thought, saw myself as being maybe an in-house director at Ruthless. Right. But the second that video came out, the first call I got, because it ended up, you know, being real big on the box and what's the box? Yeah, the box. Yeah, yeah. And I don't even know if it was on BET at the time or MTV. Um, I got a call from Def Jam and I went out there and I met with Lior and I did a, my second video was a West Coast artist, Drayster and BG Knockout that yeah, was yeah. signed to them. But because I was based here and because... The, the look of the video is, you know, they're trying to really grab, like, really the essence of L.A. And it was like a diss video. Uh, it was BG Knockout and Dresta who were Easy es boy diss and Snoop. Yep. So that was my second gig. 
And once that happened, I quit Ruthless, and I was, you know, in my mind, off to the races. I was a video director. I had a little production company. Then I met Brett Ratner, mm -hmm. did a co-deal co with him, and started directing and signing directors to my, my, my company. And, you know, I just was making it happen. Yeah. You know, it's crazy just how, uh, you know, think back to that time. I mean, how much beef was just everywhere in the industry, right? Between, you know, Easy and Cube, Easy and, you know, Death Row and Ruthless, and then all crazy, these kind of yeah. like spin off was, beefs. Yeah, you're forgetting about like Bad Boy and Death sure. Row. Yeah, yeah, of I course. Mean, and, yeah. I, I was living it all that Suge Knight stuff. I was there when he would come to Ruthless. Yeah. Um, I always felt, though, that this beef didn't, for some reason, apply to me. Because I would see these guys out. I would see them on video sets. Mm -hmm. I'd, I'd see Suge at a club. And everybody knew that, like, nobody really fucked with me ever. I never had an issue. I was never concerned. Um, but, look, I lived through all of that. I lived through all of that. So it, 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 was, uh, it was definitely... Um, pretty crazy yeah i mean i just think it was a, it was a wild environment uh, uh it's pretty wild yeah i remember suge coming in to ruthless for one of the first times and having a bunch of dudes with him and i, I wouldn't lie I, I would say i was a little scared at that moment but uh yeah it was crazy it it it, it was the wild west you know yeah now, i remember you know i was i was in fact one of uh so you and chuck shot the Dub C video for me. Cheddar. Oh yeah, I forgot that. No, what year was that? Not Cheddar, uh, just clowning. I didn't direct it though, right? No, Chuck did. And what year was that? That was 96. See, we've been we've been we've been helping each we other as much as we supporting nope. each other as much as we can through the we years. We sat at a car wash, right? I just remember Dubsy going on top of a Mercedes. Yeah, yeah, we rented a Mercedes. And walking or whatever the fuck he was doing. That's right. And it cost us like two Gs because he fucked the hood. Yeah, up. He, yeah. yeah. Dub yeah, C, a... I'm still looking for that two grand. <laughs> Do you have a number on him? Because that's I remember I had to come out two grand out of the pocket, and I was not fucking happy about that. Hilarious. I yeah, and then he, obviously he was in the middle of all that beef too. He was, yeah. Well, you know the whole. Oh, I'm like forgetting the, Cube. Yeah, yeah. There's... West Side Connection and all the East Coast West Coast thing. Now everybody's friends. Yeah, Time and age and money solves all that. Well, you so. know, it's funny because I always tell you that you're my only friend, that I'm your only friend that you have never fought with. Right. Because you're kind of a beefy dude. I don't like, know. Maybe maybe you've mellowed out over the years, but like you do I, not shy away from a, from a, uh, a conflict. I, yeah. I will tell you that 
I definitely picked up some bad habits from my uncle. Okay. So um, one of those habits was uh, I, I never shied away from a fight. But no, I've yeah, my whole my whole uh, mo is completely different. But yeah, I mean, you're hard to beef with, so. Yeah, I am, and and it's so. Uh, I mean, I'm just pretty. You know, most things just kind of roll off. And this me. guy smokes no pot. He True. barely drinks. Yep. But no, I I definitely um, definitely opinionated and definitely passionate um, and definitely. Uh, but I'm the type of guy too that if I have a fight with a friend. I could forget it. Like, I don't, I'm, Jerry could hold a grudge. I didn't talk to Jerry Heller for 19 years. Yeah. We just started talking six months ago. That's on him, on his end. That's a whole other story. But I, I don't hold grudges. Yeah. Like, I could let it go. Uh, it would take a lot for me to really stop talking to somebody forever. Um, How do you do that? Like, what happens that you just let it go? Because it's bullshit. Like, mm. when you look at, like, the core of why you fight half the time, it's a bunch of nonsense. You, know, you look at all these reality shows, and it's like... Oh, yeah. These people fight over the dumbest shit. Like, yeah. I, it's just bullshit. And especially when you have history with somebody. At the end of the day, I understand that you're going to have disagreements. And, like, I got a buddy in Miami, Joey. Love the guy. I mean, we will we will go at it. We drive each other fucking crazy. But at the end of the day, man, we have history. I know the guy loves me. I love him. And, you know, I I, I just don't have time to, like, make a bunch of new friends in my life. Mm-hmm. So I'd rather just fix, you know. But but I, I, yeah, I don't, you know. You gotta understand, at 21, 22 years old, I put a lot of pressure on my, I'm not making an excuse, but I put a lot of pressure on myself to perform. Sure. I had a lot of, remember, I would have a production company, I would have these video, we'd have these jobs, I'd have tons of people on set that I was responsible for, I had to pay them, guys in their 50s and 60s that would work on the job. I did not have the maturity at that time to, to deal with that stuff. Mm-hmm. I also was very insecure, I did not go to film school. I did not have any formal training in film. So I always felt like a little bit of an imposter. I feel like that now at the restaurant industry. I felt like an imposter. So I was always sort of fighting that, those insecurities. And, you know, I'm just not a patient guy. Um, but I certainly, you know, I, yeah, I, it, <laughs> it, it, it's, 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 it's a little uh, confusing. But, you know, at the end of the day, man, I... I I want to provide for my family. I don't have time for all the bullshit nowadays. And I tend to, I get along with people fairly well. Well, let's talk about that a little more because you, you know, you said, uh, you know, some, you feel like an imposter. And I think that that is a common trait among a lot of successful people, probably some unsuccessful ones too. But I think there are a lot of people who succeed out of that fear of being, sort of found out yeah absolutely yeah i always you know every industry i always felt like an imposter you know i i did the 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 video thing and i had a production company and you know ultimately i didn't leave it because of any reason then i i kind of fell into it i never felt super passionate um i mean you got pretty successful yeah we were very successful what was the biggest job you did Shit, I don't know. But, I mean, my company produced stuff for Lincoln Park, Jennifer Lopez. We did Toyota commercials, co-commercials. You know, my wife, uh, who I met through 
production who we met in 98 she's still doing it i i mean we we had a lot of success mm-hmm. um I think what ultimately pushed me out or why I made a decision to go out was I just wasn't passionate about it. I didn't love it. You know, if you want to be a high-level director or a high-level at anything you do, you better fucking be so passionate about it that you're willing to do what it takes to be successful. And even though I got very close to to doing a movie, because that would have been the natural progression for me, I just never cared. Like, I saw myself more on the business side. I was more interested building this production company mm-hmm. but ultimately I, I i just wasn't in love with it my timing was right because literally i left in 04 and the video industry from there <laughs> i think like yeah. every year the budget's cut in half and you know we were transitioning into commercials and ultimately i would have figured it out it just wasn't for me sure but i will tell you that it was what i learned in that industry the creativity you know, I always consider myself not a creative guy. And ultimately, when I stepped away from it, I, I, I realized that I do have a lot of ideas that I want to convey and creativity. Um, but having someone give you a budget, here is a $100,000. Go execute this video. Um, you A lot of things can go wrong. You could lose mm-hmm. all your money. Yeah, It could cost you money. And I had an obligation to Atlantic Records, to Sony Records, to Bad Boy, to Ruthless, to whoever, to deliver this product. And that taught me a lot of skills. I mean, to be able to budget, to get stuff done on time. Um, but the biggest, one of the biggest skills that taught me was, was team. And I always try to hire people that outclass me, which wasn't hard. But I always try to find, my wife was one of them. I found I heard about this woman who was this great producer and she worked with these very high level directors mm-hmm. and that's how we ultimately I called her and said, Hey, will you I wanna meet with you? And then I met her and I started clever films with her. I was always looking to get um like the next big DP. I was always looking for to, to better my situation by hiring a better team and surrounding myself with the best people. So so let's take that now to present day, right? So how does that all these lessons that you picked up. You know what's like, crazy? How does it work in, in your current business? You know what's crazy? It, whether it was real estate, which I'm still involved with, or the restaurant industry, it's no different. The lessons I learned and the way I applied, sort of, you know, the way I approached then and now is the exact same, you know? Um, plan check, currently we have three locations. I have approximately 200 employees. Um, it's it's a lot of work, and, and we plan on growing. I mean, we plan on opening three more plan checks in the next twelve months, four more from there. The ne- uh, twelve months after that, twelve months. So we want to have seven more in two years. Nice. Um, I, I I'm always looking for the best people, mm-hmm. and that's you know I'm in the human resource business. That's the toughest thing for me right now. Yeah. Um, but but the idea of just attacking it and figuring out. And really applying what I like to call rigorous thinking. I'm always looking to improve our situation. I never rest on our laurels. It's 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 good and bad. I mean, so give me an example. How do we make our food better? How do we make our service better? How do I increase top line sales? Um, listen, everybody does that. I don't know if they do it as intensely as we do it, mm-hmm. but training my people to. I just had a conference call prior to this. 
and we had record-breaking sales over Memorial Day weekend, record-breaking. And you know, for about three and a half seconds, I, I, I relish in the moment, and then I start talking about how, how do we become better? How do we do more suggestive selling? Why are our check averages at, well, how do we get them higher? Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, right now I'm starting to think about messaging, how I'm gonna reformat how we sell plan check to the community as we try to grow to become a global brand. So I'm constantly approaching that. But, you know, what I've always said about being an entrepreneur and the idea of taking that first initial step is most people, they, they, everybody wants to own a business. Everybody has that idea, but that first step is always the hardest and and the toughest thing for them. And, you know, I always say that just putting that open sign in the window Mm -hmm. is more than half the battle and most people won't do it. It takes a lot of guts. You know, I've never had, except for maybe two, two and a half years, a consistent paycheck. So to have the discipline of not getting a check every week, it's it's a tough pill to swallow. But, you know, when you risk that, the reward, you know, on the flip side of things, you know, you can make a lot more money. Sure. But I always tell people, you gotta take that first step. You gotta put that open sign in the window. And if you don't put that open sign in the window, you'll never get there. And that's where you could draw from guys like Puff and Easy and Trey. And, you know, these guys had this self-belief, whether it was a mask for an insecurity or whatever whatever it was, mm-hmm. that I could do Beats by Dre. I could do vodka. I could do tequila. I could do a film company. Why not? And... You know, I think that's that was always something that I, even though I felt like an imposter, I was I always had the courage to take that initial step to spend the money to make the money. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the difference, right? There's a there's a there's the imposter who, because he doesn't feel secure, doesn't take any action, and then there's the imposter who, because he doesn't feel secure, needs to go take action and go right essentially prove himself wrong. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'm i just as hungry today as I, I remember being, you know, just turning 18, driving in my car, and just being fucking excited about make it, just making it out there. And I, st- mm-hmm. I, I seriously have that passion today at my age. I mean, I still feel like I wake up this morning, you know, I, I have that fire. That fire is still there. I want to fucking, I, I feel like I haven't done anything and that's what just drives me. I mean, you know, in three years, we've opened up three restaurants. We've I've succeeded in a space that people tend to say is impossible. Yeah. Um, I think that excites me too. I love when people tell me, I remember coming into the, into the restaurant industry, you have to pay the GM this, you have to do this and that and that. And the more people that say that to me, the more I want to show them, mm-hmm. and, you know, and that's me just being stubborn. Yeah. Um, I want to, you know, and, and, being an outsider just like in real estate at one time and just like in the in being a director is I just figured out on my own how to do it and sometimes that's a better way to go sure sometimes conventional thinking you know if I would have done everything that's first of all my first location on Sautel I will tell you that there wasn't one person who told me I should open there in mm-hmm. fact I have guys that were seasoned restaurant guys that said if you don't open Asian food on that right. street, you will fail. Yeah, I had guys tell me that I'm three blocks out of 
the sort of hub of where everything was. I can't tell you how many people told me that that was the wrong thing to do. So and why why have you, why has Plan Check succeeded? You know, um, I mean, it's a combination of a lot of things. You know, I think we're firing on all cylinders. I, I think that the timing was right on that street. Um, so I, I think there's a little luck that played there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we really emphasize for the type of very, you know, what I like to call polished casual dining experience. We really emphasize service. Um, and ultimately the food is phenomenal, you know? So, uh, I got very lucky, but once again, assembled the very best team that I knew how to do. And, and, you know, we have three locations. We're doing really well. But, I mean, we're barely out of Chapter 1, in my right. mind, out, out of a 40-chapter book. So there's a lot more to do. There's a lot more success to conquer. But, you know, we're off to a good start. Well, the food's great. I love it there. Thank you. I think there's um, – we're in a time, though, where there's a lot of good food, which we haven't always had in L.A. 100%. The bar is, is really high. And it's funny. I remember, you know – I remember like places. Dantana's, the Ivy, the Palm. I mean, there's like three or four like places to go, and that was like it. Remember? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And and I, I was thinking more on the casual side, like to you know, I was thinking, like remember Cafe Marmalade, mm -hmm. like when they opened, they're still around. Yeah, but it was like before that, it was Denny's, right? right? It was some like garbage, and then you're like, oh, this is pretty good, and right. now like you can't eat a Cafe Marmalade, like they've been surpassed. I don't no, think they're still good. I still give them some raw. But I hear you. They ha they haven't gotten any worse. They're fine. I take it back to you can eat there. But uh, <laughs> I mean, look. But it, I'm just saying, right? The bar keeps raising. I'm excited about LA. Look, I I love LA. LA to me is the best city. I, I mean, I've, I'm a huge believer in LA. But what has happened in LA is exciting, especially on the on the food front. Um, every week, the bar is being raised. Yeah, and. You know, through through the advent of of of, of media, these you know um, chef shows or whatnot, mm -hmm. the expect ex expectation is there from the consumer. But yeah, it's exciting. You know, I don't look at it as a threat to plan check being non-existent in ten years. I mean, you know, in these times, you're going to have to be um, flexible. You're going to have to evolve. Yeah. Uh, could a concept like In-N-Out Burger start today and do what they did? I don't know. Can you have one item that really you're known for? You know, I don't know. We have a new concept that we're doing that's very, 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 very simple and small menu. We will find out. But look, um, it's definitely, you know, through social media. If you have a product that's that people like, in a matter of days, everybody will know who you are. Yeah. But but the flip side of that is you better be on point because also know that you're you're not good. Sure. And, and people will find you out. So, but it, it's crazy. Like, food in LA continues to push the bar, and and you know, um, you know whether it's coffee, casual, whatever it is, um, it's it's definitely exciting. So why why food? Like For we, me? we've known each other a long time. I never thought of you as a food guy. We used to go eat Benitos, tacos. <laughs> I think everybody did. Uh, Tito's tacos, Benitos, Tito's, right? Pinks. No, like, but but like, um, 
what what was what drove you to food you know it's as funny out of all the things i've done architecture which led me to real estate design um i think the the fascination and the excitement of creating from scratch you know has all but i've always had an interest in restaurants and it's it's bizarre i remember being 13 14 years old thinking how do I get a Taco Bell franchise? I remember I had a, I had a childhood friend whose parents owned a Taco Bell. Mm-hmm. And I had to ask him all kinds of questions because it was just something. I like the idea of the business. I like the idea that every day you're open and you can make money. Yeah, I like the creative side of it. So, I, I mean, I even remember trying to do franchises years ago. And it just never happened. I was too busy, whatever. But I, I just always had a fascination with the business side of it, the service side, the creative side of, of coming up with something out of thin air. And, you know, I've always loved food, but I always liked what I would call comfort foods. Mm-hmm. You know, I was much more interested in finding some, you know, taco stand than the next great big, you know, fancy steakhouse. Even to this day, that's just something that's always uh, been interesting to me you know that donut shop that you know is in some obscure area that no one heard of sure or you know my i still go to my taquito spa on alvaro street i've probably gone with you before mm-hmm. uh el Cilieto lindo so you know i like that's the kind of food that i i'm interested in okay and that's kind of what we do you know we take classics and we re- remix them so uh, it, it's something that's always been in me. And I'm, I can't tell you how excited I am about what we're doing. Nice. I think for the first time in my life, although I did say I feel like an imposter, I feel like we're making an impact and we can continue to make an impact. And despite all this competition coming to the marketplace and food sort of being like everybody wants to be associated with a restaurant or food, yeah. um, I feel very comfortable You know what lane we're in and I, I'm very excited about the future. You know, you said something about finding the best team. And I agree for myself, that's always been the biggest challenge. And what I've learned is that it's not just the best the best people are the best people for me. Right? Like it's it's our fit together. Right. That's gonna really make that work as opposed to, you know, I've I meet sometimes really talented, skilled people. But we're not going to work together. You're not compatible. Absolutely. Right. How do you do that? Like, what's the what makes someone the right fit for you? And I mean, how, that, and how do you find that? I mean, that's a good question. You know, right? So, if you're talking about partnerships, right? True partnerships. They have an equity interest in your business, or you're going. You know, you're you have to be on the same page, right? So, if a partner of mine, let's say, is older, doesn't have kids. And their agenda is to make a quick buck or whatever their agenda is. That's not going to gel with mine. So I've always been, I always wanted someone to be sort of at the same place when it comes to partnerships with me in life, Mm -hmm. right? If you have young kids and I have young kids, there's a lot of common ground there. And, you know, there's a lot of things that we're we're sort of on the same page. Um, So that's with, you know, regards to partnerships. Now, Finding the right people, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, I don't believe that money is your influence. I really don't. I mean, you know, 
money is not going to find you the best people. Mm -hmm. If you say, look, I'm going to pay 20% more than anybody else, I don't necessarily correlate salary with, with good people. I also don't correlate, hear me really closely, because this is something I've always believed and preached. I don't believe time is the equalizer of good. If you have done right. street marketing or you have an agency for 25 years, it doesn't mean you're good at it. And it doesn't mean you're better than the guy that has done it for two years. So when I look for people, they don't necessarily have to have all this experience behind them, right? That's kind of mm -hmm. unfair. For I mean, coming from my background, so I look for people with the right, um, with the right passion, with with sort of the indicators to me that you know you might not have managed a bunch of restaurants, but if the passion's there, and the dialogue. And, you know, if I feel right about someone, I'll give them a shot. One of my operations people was a barista mm -hmm. when I met her. And now she's in a huge part of Planchet Corporate. So you have to be willing to give people chances. Um, but, the, you know, I, at the end of the day, money's not going to influence people. It's leadership. Mm -hmm. They want to work for somebody that they believe is going somewhere. And, you know, a lot of times my my little pitch to them might come off as bullshit. But there are people that buy in to sort of that the, the, the dream. Mm -hmm. And I think at the end of the day, people want to attach their stars and attach their 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 careers, if you will, to somebody that they believe is constantly pushing so yeah all right let's go back 93 so uh yeah it was 93 we did our first i don't know if it was your first party i think it was mine camel walk camel walk <laughs> Do you, can you cut to a flyer i'm gonna find one? the fly i have it somewhere uh we're having issues with our storage space but it's <laughs> who came up with that name you did I forget why. You did. Though. It's it's taken from I'm gonna get you no from Hollywood Shuffle. You sure I came up with the name? I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I don't remember that. Because it wasn't Ron. So it was the two of us. Ron Hill. Ron Hill, who had a street promotion. Sure company. shop marketing. Let's give them a shout out. Shout out to Ron and Goner. Was Ben Moore involved with no. this? No, he wasn't. And it was Goner, Ron, yourself, and myself. And that and was that's it. it. Yeah. We did it at that place on Sunset. Yeah, so we shopped Shady around. Shady ass. So I went to go place. find a venue. I shopped around. Bahia or something? What was it called? No, we did it at Glam Slam. Oh, we did? Yeah. But didn't we do another one at on Sunset? Oh, yeah. I forget at, what like that was a, called. Like, like some like like Latin yeah, dance yeah, yeah. club. We did one there, too. I forget what that was called. Glam Slam, though. We did do it there. Right. So we, you know, none of us had any promotion experience. Other than going to parties, right? You'd never done a party before. No. No. And so we had no experience. I go to find us a venue. I was talking to Dragonfly, which I, on Melrose. Yeah, I remember which that. Which I wanted to do that place. Who, who were the guys behind that again? S uh, Steve uh, uh, Edelson. 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 Or Edelman or Edelson? It's one of those it's two. It's a Jewish name. Hollywood club guys. I'm talking to him. He's like... I'm not giving you this venue. I don't know why. He's like, but and he sells me on. Let's do glam, glam slam. It's fifteen hundred people. That was Prince's shit, right? Prince had just 
Had he just bought it? Yeah. He had just bought it. And it was like the hot club. And, and so and didn't I have like easy come and So ring? yeah, you got you got uh easy to Did we do performance? Oh yeah. Who I think he never went out on stage. I think he decided he didn't. He was. But I remember Rin was there. I remember there we were had cameras Ren, there. It was like we a had, big deal. We had um, At Band Clan performed. We had Funk Dubious, who then brought Cypress Hill on stage with them. I mean, I have the worst memory. I don't remember we had, that. Uh, DJ Aladdin, DJ Utaka, who was I, one of Ice T's DJs. Were we drinking then? I don't remember all this. No, not really. I don't think so. And there was somebody else. Anyway, I'll find the flyer. <laughs> Brent Rollins, who's now the creative director at Complex, designed the flyer for me. He, he was, did. Oh, he was wow. my buddy from college. Um, so it sounds like you did all the work. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is we lost a lot of money. We did? On that. How yeah. much did we lose? I, th- I want to say we lost like a grand each. For, was, sh- for was, sure that was your fault. It was. <laughs> I don't know. All I seem to remember is that like the place was packed. Right. Oh, I remember. And the, I think like everyone oh, came fl- in the I, back door. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember. Now I remember that. Like I remember... Wasn't like uh, Funk Dubious, Cypress Hill, and Scott Kahn, the hooligans, was that there? Might have been hooligans. I remember, yeah, a gang of people came in the back, and I think we got jerked on the bar. We were supposed to get a piece of the bar. Yeah, so what I learned was about managing the door, because I didn't, you know, all my energy was focused. We we were focused on talent, and then getting flyers yeah, out we weren't and focused promotion. on how the fuck do we keep people from just, just bum-rushing Yeah, them. so, but... It was a fun event. I learned a lot. Did we have fun that night? I remember I was stressed. I was so stressed. Like, was anybody going to come? And then... I will tell you, there were cameras there shooting. And I remember being interviewed with Rin. They really? interviewing Rin. And I I wish somebody found that footage. Because I was That'd so cool. fucking corny. Because I just remember being stressed. And, and like, it, yeah. I just remember it was awkward as hell. Yeah, yeah. It was stressful. Because we didn't know I mean, what imagine the Rin, Easy. Did Dre come? I don't think Dre no. came. Bone. We didn't know Bone in '93. No, nothing. Batman Clan. I'm sure like all the LA groups are there. Yeah, yeah. yeah we got to find that flyer, man. That's crazy. Yeah. What happened to our promoting career? We should have stopped that. No, I mean, I did. I did some parties. On, I think you moved on to better things. <laughs> it was fun though. But let's yeah, do another one. Fun. Let's bring Camel Walk back. Sure. For the uh, for the forty year olds. So, I, I think we talked about this a little bit, but food and music are both, um, sometimes I say like f- food is the new music in terms of the impact that it has on culture. Right. Um, but they're both these, you know, sort of creative expressions that, uh, you know, mean it's like it's got one meaning for the creator and then for the consumer it's got a, a totally different thing but it's still seen through the lens right i think of a chef as as a musician in a lot of ways right 
because he's got his philosophy about what what it should be like and right. so how do you for you like how are those businesses correlate yeah you know I, I, from the consumer side i think it's interesting your point about food being the new music because like music back in the day i think there's you know a, a large group of people that want to find the next big shit you know yeah. plan check whatever so i think that there is sort of this this um mentality of like i'm gonna go find that that spot first i'm gonna be like an early adopter of this restaurant or this movement yeah. or this you know ice cream place or this coffee joint and i do think that 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 i do see that correlation um do i consider chefs artists like Musicians, I, I don't know if I see as much of a correlation. Um, I, I do think that chefs are definitely have become sort of rock stars in their own right. I mean, you know, we now have celebrity chefs. These guys have venues in Vegas. So maybe there is a correlation. I think I, I, I get what you're saying with the music. Um, but yeah, I mean, look at, you know, there's also a fine line with chefs and, and and operating a business because you 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 have to create a product that people like mm -hmm. you want to be innovative at the same time you got to keep your your cost of goods down you got to make money on it you got to be able to deliver it in a timely fashion um you got to be able to scale it if that's part of your plan um but no i definitely see the correlation i, I do think that food food is a lifestyle sort of movement and millennials and i mean people of all ages want to be associated with food yeah. i mean you look at facebook yeah i mean it's like instagram instagram if you have kids you're on facebook posting pictures of your kids if you don't have kids you're on instagram and facebook posting pictures of traveling of food um it's crazy you know mm -hmm. I, i'm always amazed like i go to these restaurants and there'll be like six people in there and they're like and they're taking pictures of food, and they're like, uh, no one's even talking. It's pretty funny to me. You know, I couldn't believe I went to, it was either Denny's or IHOP. This century? No. I mean, this, this no, no, decade? No, no, What was, no, uh, there's another one that somebody, t no, this is, I saw this promotion that their um, menu was a frame so you take a picture of your food, you hold up the menu for like Instagram. It was a stupid promotion. At, but at Denny's or it was one Iowa. of those one of those restaurants. I forget which one. And I I remember thinking like, people that eat at those restaurants aren't taking pictures of their food. Like you go to Plan Check, or you go somewhere where the dish is beautiful. And, I mean, look and at their, that. But, they're trying to be relevant, right? But but the but I was wrong. Like you look online, and there's a shitload of photos of Rudy Tooty fresh and fruity <laughs> <laughs> but you know what's funny though a lot of these places that if came out today would not ever work but they have time on their side sure I mean there's plenty of you know I'm not gonna name names I'm friends with some of these people but hot dog stands in LA and mm -hmm. places that that if they came out today would not be relevant because the food is, is garbage right but that is part of you know there's history they have history on their side we as kids ate there yeah and they're not going anywhere because sure. of, of that so whether it's ihop or denny's i mean 
one of the few criminal acts I've ever done was dining and ditching at Denny's. Besides transporting guns. B- besides transporting guns. Um, was, you know, I mean, how many times you go to Denny's and ditched out, yeah. you know? So I have great memories of Denny's and IHOP. Um, so, you know, I like those places. In fact, I still think that somebody needs to create the new IHOP and Denny's for like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, and there's one-off places, but I do think that there's room in that space to create the, the new breakfast sort of diner. I always thought um, KFC should create a spinoff that's like the same recipes but nice food right like I mean a, like organic chicken it's like well prepared and all that but it's did you know McDonald's has like McDonald's cafes now yeah McCafe I, I, I don't know I, that's gonna be a tough that, that's gonna be a t- that's gonna be a tough sort of well, tall order to but their so but their strategy is like we have this audience that's so massive right that who McDonald's? McDonald's, yeah. right? That the different, different uh, corners of that are always getting chipped off, right? Right, Chipotle or whatever, you know, Starbucks, right? So their whole thing is like, they're not trying to win over the coffee snobs right. to come to McDonald's. They're just trying to stop people from leaving, right? That that if you're a McDonald's user, consumer. So you're right. saying that you their business a, plan is like, we don't need to grow, gotta, we just don't want to contract. Well, it's not, I mean, they grow like, they're so big, right? They grow as population grows, they grow... Yeah, but they have, they have major headwinds right now. Of course. I will tell you, my kids have eaten at McDonald's once or twice. You know where they want to eat? Guess where they want to eat. It's not a tough... This is where wow. my kids want to eat, yeah. Starbucks. Yeah. I, I don't know why they don't have little toys... My yeah. kids every day. Let's go to Starbucks because they got the little sandwiches. That's funny. And, and I think Starbucks is 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 the best ran. Yeah. You know, uh, company in the food space. I mean, you know, uh, Howard Schultz is is brilliant. I strongly recommend reading any of his books. Mm. Um, that's something I've always done too. Is I I read business books and biographies, autobiographies every week. I'm reading something new. What's the last good book you read? Right now, I'm reading Brian Grazer's book. Um, what the fuck's the name of it? I'll tell you what Brian Grazer's book, the name. Um, I just started reading it. It's called... And the reason I started reading it was I ran into him at... Um, you read on Kindle? I read on my iPad. Uh-huh. Um, why isn't it here? Hold on. It's on my iPad. Let me Let me search it really quick. Brian's book, the name of it. But... Um, I'm reading it because I ran into him at Nobu in Malibu, and I and he's a big fan of Plan Check. We we don't take reservations, but we always get calls from his office. Sure. Uh, you know Brian's coming in, and you know we hold a table for him, and and we do. Mm-hmm. So I approached him. I actually ran into him at the re- in the restroom. I was like, Oh, hey Brian, I'm Terry Heller. I own Plan Check, and it was crazy. I didn't know what kind of response, but he's like. Wow, yeah, yeah, I'm a huge fan. And he immediately, like, barraged me with questions. Um, the book's called A Curious Mind, and it's okay. exactly what that is. Yeah. And he started, he goes, you know, I always wondered, how'd you come up with the name? Like, he asked me, like, four or five questions. He's like, can I get a business card? I, it was, it was so, I was just looking him up, and I, I got home that night, and I saw that he had a new book out. So, um, I always learn stuff from these books. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, they've really become... 
uh, a huge, I think, staple and inspiration for me, just, you know, I, across all industries. Yeah. Um, but I forgot, you asked me something before that. What were we going to talk about? McDonald's? Starbucks. Starbucks. Um, yeah, I forget. Oh. I'm just ahead. saying, that, that's all right, we can move on. <laughs> uh, but talk about, so, you know, I know you're a big reader as am I, and, uh, you know, you talked a little bit about Easy. Have you had other mentors? Yeah, I've had other mentors. Um, what, what do you, what is, what's, I'm trying to think someone of, someone taught you? I mean, you know, for a while I was working with Brett Ratner when he had a music video company. I had one and I mean, he was a huge influence on me. You know, we're not too friendly today. We don't talk a lot. We run into each other. But he, he was a major influence on me. Uh, he's What'd about four learn? or five years. What did you learn from Brett? Relentless. I mean, you're talking about a guy that, you know, uh, he is absolutely relentless. What I learned from these guys, too, uh, just watching them, and, you know, I was really close to Heavy D, rest in peace, and, you know, I, I, I would get feedback about Puffy and stuff he's doing. I mean, th these guys... They live, work, eat, breathe. There's not a moment they're not conducting business. And they've really figured out how to integrate business and their life. There is no separation. Mm -hmm. And I've done the same. If there's a piece of real estate I want to look at in Orange County, um, I will make a trip out of it with my kids and, and my family or we'll stay there for the night. Um, I really feel that if you want to reach a certain level of success, you know, it's funny. Um, one of my biggest problems I'm having with sort of this new generation of people coming into the workforce is passion. Mm -hmm. And I recently had a guy that worked for me right out of school and was with me for a long time. And, you know, young guy making a really good living. He was, you know, I would say he's a top two or three paid people at my company out of 200 people. Young guy, like I said, 26, 27. And he kept complaining about his quality of life and, you know, he has no kids. He's not married. Um, I got him a great deal on the apartment that he was living in because I knew the landlord. Mm -hmm. Beautiful apartment downtown. I mean, brand new apartment. He, to me, he had this phenomenal opportunity and he just kept bitching on oh, my quality of life. And, you know, I, I, I want to be able to shut my phone off at night and, you know, um, uh, I feel stressed all the time, and and I honestly, I just, I respect that, but I don't respect that at the same time. Yeah. You know, I live in the suburbs. I have three kids. I have a wife. I have all these all this responsibility, and I just knew at that point in time that the way he presented himself and what he wanted out of life and what he told me his goals were, as you know, a potential business owner at some point you know, growing a plan check, it wasn't going to pan out for him. Yeah. Because at 26 years old, if, if you're complaining that you're working more than 40 hours a week, then, you know, maybe the nine to five job, and there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. But don't sort of lie to yourself right. that you want to be the next Jay-Z, yet you don't want to be bothered at 5.01 because you're tired mm -hmm. or you want to watch a sporting game. Uh, or, or a basketball game or a football game. Like, don't tell me this bullshit. I mean, I remember, you know, when we, you know, when we were all coming up, you know, the time we met and, and, you know, people, 
people ask me like, you know, how do you know that guy? How do you, you know, you know everybody. How does that, you know, how does that happen? And I always explain it that like, we're of a certain age in Los Angeles in the music business. You were, we were living that, right? Like you're out every night connecting with people. And I think, you know, I use us as an example. Like, I think Ron Hill, in, anyways, you know, someone introduced Ron us Hill did, at yeah. this club. Yeah. Right. And it was like, what's up? We probably talked for five minutes, 10 minutes. And then probably what happened is we saw each other again a few days later and a few days later. And then, you know, and then one day one of us called the other and was like, yo, I'm going to go to this thing. You want to go? Right. Clicked. Right. And, but it wasn't like, but, the, and then that happened for both of us with a lot of other people, right? That, you know, my Karen, like whoever else, Paul right? Stewart. Absolutely. Whoever, right? right. And it was just being, and, and so I think the mentality was just like, this is my life. I'm going to do this. Well, look at, we were all coming up at the same time. Yeah. And despite the fact that this music industry was this big industry, it was a very small, finite amount of people that were in it. Yeah. We all loved hip hop music. So right off the bat. Sure. We, we had yeah. that in common. Absolutely. We were going to the same place. There's plenty of people I would see out that I see today that don't say hello. Right. <laughs> like I just never connected with them. Right. But there's no, but, but but I guess what I'm talking about is I think there was this energy running through all of us that was like well, I'm going to I'm going to make it. Right. Right. I'm going to make something for myself. And you know, and I'm doing what I love and I'm not It was you like know, the wild no west. One, it was no like no one we, ever worried about a day off. Or, it was like we were all in these like, you know, covered wagons going right. out to the west and looking for opportunity. None of yeah. us most of us had a very similar background. We didn't have, we came from middle class families. Um, we didn't have a ton of money. Sure. Um, we all, I think at the end of the day, and to this day, I still feel passionate about music, specifically hip hop music, Yeah. like I did back then. You know, my son's 13 now. He wants to talk to me about hip hop. You know, I look at him like he doesn't know shit about hip hop. Of course. You know, and it's funny because the stuff I used to play now he likes, you know, like he's coming around. Yeah. But that was the common thread was his passion, not for the just the music, right. for rap music, but yes. the culture, yes. the art. Listen, I, I was into art back then. I still collect art. Mm -hmm. I am so passionate about art. I love trying to find the next new big artist. You know, I probably buy, I don't know, five, six paintings a year. Um, Put us up on somebody. What's that? Put us up on someone. What was the last piece I bought? Yeah. Pose. Okay. Just bought Pose. Mm -hmm. So what do you think happened then to, from guys like us at that age to this 26-year-old kid that you're talking about? Like, it's not just him. And, and Well, I right? think when we were that age, there were guys like him that would that talk. That just didn't. That they would talk to talk, but okay. at the end of the day, didn't want to put in the time. You got to fucking pay your dues. Do you you got to work hard. None of this for any of these guys come easy. Right. And and that's and and that's why I was saying, like mentioning these guys, like Ratner. This guy was a whirlwind of energy. Like I remember, I, I'm up at five five thirty every day, no alarm clock. That's but I go to bed early. Mm -hmm. But this dude, he always I remember he'd wake up a little late, but the minute he woke up. Dude, it was on. Going here, going there, meeting, you know, calling people. It didn't fucking stop. So yeah. the grind never stopped. So I just think that either that 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 people understand that and they have that drive, or they don't. It's not. 
it's not the money drive. Mm -hmm. That that is not going to get you, you know. Right. That's not going to get you that far because if you're really just about the money, you're you're going to have a tough time, sort of weathering, weathering, the storms, if you will, because it's not enough to get you over those 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 tough times. It's mm -hmm. got to be the passion. Yeah. And I wasn't passionate about filmmaking. I love films. I respect filmmaking, but I wasn't this guy sitting back in my house in my spare time thinking about different shots or angles or like referencing movies, mm -hmm. you know, but I always did that with real estate and restaurants. Like I always sure. that, you know, my downtime is there is no downtime. <laughs> like I'm always right. thinking about that stuff yeah. and I love it. I fucking love it. It's not work to me. I love it. I'm right now. I want to get out of this meeting because I want to. I want to go back to it. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I. I think that. Do you think there are young guys coming up today that are, that that are, have that type of drive that are doing that? One hundred in a, music. One hundred percent. Or do you think it's like are I they all tech guys or? No, no. There's plenty of people that are passionate. I mean, the one example I gave you, was this one guy. Sure. But there's plenty of passionate people. I mean, my son, is so passionate about sports. I never was that passionate about sports. Yeah. You know, he plays a lot of basketball. I consider him a pretty high-level basketball player. But this guy will talk to you about old-school guys. He'll talk to you about old sneakers. Mm -hmm. He'll talk to you about retro jerseys. Mm -hmm. um, he is truly passionate. I can see him, no doubt, being a sports agent, being a sports broadcaster. It's exciting for me to see that passion. This kid lives eats breathes and so do a lot of young kids yeah, sure so i do believe that that passion's there i also believe that with technology and everything that you know it's easy to to change our focus but at the end of the day i i'm going to be cliched again you better fucking find something that you really care about because if you want to make a lot of money and have a good life and go far in whatever respective field you want to choose it's not going to be easy mm-hmm the playing field, the, it's like there's constantly, constantly more people. I mean, the population's growing, you know, um, the extreme rich are getting richer, but there's this disparity in sort of the middle class. It's becoming harder to make a living, to make a sustainable living. So if you want to do that and you want to make it happen, you better have that passion where it's like you fucking... This is what I gotta do. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean you can't start off in, you know, as you did, a music manager, and that, and that evolves because mm -hmm. it's gonna evolve. But you better be really passionate, or you're just not gonna make it. Yeah. So where can we find Plan Check? Well, online. PlanCheck.com. Uh, you could also find us at Plan Check. Twitter. Uh, Twitter and. Facebook. Facebook. Instagram. Okay. Um, and we have, and right now we're downtown. We're at, we're at eleven eleven Wilshire. We are at um, three fifty one North Fairfax, and we're at eighteen hundred Sawtell Boulevard. All right. More to come. There we go. You can find me. Uh, I I I do not have a Twitter. I have a Twitter account, but I'm not active on it. But I am somewhat active on Instagram, and it's Terry underscore Heller. Yeah. I mean, I never want to be one of those artists feeling empty by a chain of flunny. Tell like I could change the world, I'm thinking about adding diamonds on it.
All right, that was Terry Heller on Rebel Radio. The dude had some stories, man. Uh, go to Plan Check, get a burger, and tell Terry I said hi. He'll tell you more stories about Ruthless, Dre, Easy, Will I Am, and all of that. But check us out next week. We're coming back with DJ Adam12, one of the best DJs I've ever seen, the President's DJ. That's coming up next week on Rebel Radio. Peace.